Christmas. Anybody? Yes. How many of y'all have all of your Christmas shopping done? Wow. Overachievers in the room. Over, no, I'm just kidding. No, it's great. Um, uh, maybe, you, hopefully you didn't lie in church. Okay, but, uh, but we're so glad you guys are here. I told the first surface, sur, uh, service that, man, watching that bumper video, it is like, I mean, I'm ready for Christmas, but it just reminds me of my childhood. And I don't know about you, but like, I would love to like go back and experience Christmas as a kid again. You know, because as a kid, Christmas is like the best, right? You just anticipate it all year long. I'm going to date myself this way a little bit, but my parents always gave me a Sears catalog. Do y'all remember that? Okay. It's like came in the mail. And it's like, I told the first service, it's like, um, I think they became extinct when uh, phone books and yellow pages became extinct. But my parents would hand me and my brother this and said, hey, like fold the page, circle what you want, put your initial, buy it. And you know, as a kid, you have like zero self-control. So I'm like, okay, you gave me this book, all right. It's like circle, 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 you know, type thing. But there's this like great anticipation. Now, truth be told, um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So like, when we celebrated Christmas, Jesus was not in the picture at all, all right? So like for me, it was making cookies with mom, uh, getting all these presents, um, going to bed. Man, like when you're a kid on Christmas Eve night and you go to bed, it's like the hardest thing to do to fall asleep, right? It is so stinking hard. Like we would like track Santa or Rudolph or whatever they call it on the radar thing. And we would go to bed and it's like, you better, you better go to bed. Santa's a come. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't wait for tomorrow. And I have a younger brother. He's four years younger than me. We made a pact growing up. I don't remember what age, but it's like, whoever woke up first, you need to quietly go down the stairs, look over the banister around the corner, look at the Christmas tree, see the stash, and then come up, wake your brother up. Okay. So I would go down. I'm like, oh yeah. We're, we're hit the jackpot and then go up and wake up my brother. Then we would wake up our parents who they love waking up at like 530 in the morning and, um, and wake them up and you go down. You are so ecstatic, you know, and then um, as an adult, you realize how much debt your parents went into uh, around the Christmas tree. But all these different things with just great, great anticipation. Now, I don't know about you. But usually we had family come over Christmas Day, whether you like it or not, okay? And my grandmother was one of them. So I wanted to show you a picture, all right? This is Christmas Day. Um, so this is my grandmother. And then that is me to your left, believe it or not. I know you're like, well, you have lighter hair. I used to have like bleach blonde hair, believe it or not. I don't know what happened. Um, God has a sense of humor. And that's my younger brother. But this is my grandmother. Now, um, I loved my grandma. Ma. She died when I was in middle school. But I will tell you this, and I, I even realized this at an early age. She was probably the most frugal grandmother you've ever met, okay? Like grandparents are supposed to spoil their grandkids. Well, she spoiled us. It just looked a little bit different, all right? So every Christmas or birthday, anytime she gave us a present, it was one of two things. It was either handmade or bought at a garage sale. True story. We didn't get anything new. I remember one Christmas, uh, me and my brother... Um, she gave us a gift that she bought at a garage sale. It was a board game, a used board game. And of all board games, it wasn't like Monopoly or Sorry or Trouble. It was a New Kids on the Block board game. <laughs> I think me and my brother were the only boys in America that had that board game. 
because all the girls wanted it because Joey was so cute, you know, or whatever. And this Christmas, I am sporting uh, a shirt that she made that says All Star. Isn't that cute? And if it wasn't that, it was like a puff paint t-shirt. I kid you not, right? But, um, and then also, I don't know about you, but uh, for some reason, my parents uh, taped Christmas cards to the fireplace like that. I don't know if you do that in your house. We, let's start a new trend and see what happens, all right? But, um, but anyway, I just wanted to show you that. But at the same time, even as we get older as adults, at least I hope so, we look forward to Christmas. It might look a little different, might feel a little different, might have some added stress, right, of some things. But at the end of the day, we look forward to Christmas. I, I might not like putting the lights out on the, on the uh, house or decorating the Christmas tree, but once it's all said and done, man, I love Christmas. I love it. Um, our youngest son, I think I've shared this, our youngest son, he is uh, in fifth grade. I kid you not, for the last probably two and a half years, he goes to bed listening to Christmas music every night on his Alexa. Alexa, play Christmas holiday favorite radio or something like that, and it, it comes on. So he loves it. He knows all the words. And man, I look forward to Christmas so, so much. And so what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is as a church family, we're gonna actually walk through and we're gonna actually look at some Old Testament prophecy, meaning some words that were spoken in the Old Testament years, hundreds of years prior to Jesus's birth that actually came true um, when Jesus was born. But we're gonna look at these things that were foretold as the people of God looked forward to Christmas. And so this morning, we're going to be in Isaiah. You can turn there. We're going to be in Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7. Um, if uh, you get Christmas cards, um, hopefully you do. Hopefully you have a couple friends that send you some Christmas cards. Um, we often see this verse, uh, Isaiah seven fourteen that says this. This is what Isaiah says. He says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and, and shall uh, call his name, what? Emmanuel, right? And so we know that meaning God with us. So we see this on our Christmas cards, and it's easy for us to be like, that's so cute. But really what is happening in a larger scheme of things when Isaiah says this really is a conflict of trusting the Lord. That's what we're gonna look at today. But I think it's important for us to understand who Isaiah is. As a prophet, what we see in the Old Testament is that God would raise him up, call him to be a prophet, would speak to Isaiah or to any prophet, speak to him to then take what he has spoken to Isaiah and then communicate that to the people. He would communicate what God has spoken to him, what he has said, communicate it. And oftentimes it was God's truth and it was to denounce sin and to bring a warning hey, this is not good, you need to turn from it, or this will happen. Wouldn't you like that job? I mean, what if you showed up at work tomorrow, you know a, a guy or a girl that's at your job that they're a little sinner, and you just show up and you're like, hey, you got some sin in your life, bro. 
you know what? I'm here to tell you, you got some sin. You're like, you need to turn from your wicked ways. I mean, it's a hard job. And so that's what Isaiah did. So he's called from God to do this. He was a normal guy. He had a couple children. He was married. He calls his wife the prophetess. Um, I joked first service. That's what I call Sloan, okay? Just, I'm not joking. She's the first lady. But I kind of do that because she hates it. Um, but we know that he's like a normal guy called by God who is communicating God's truth. And what we see is in this time, he is, what we're going to see in uh, chapter 7, is that is taking place. He is going to communicate a truth of God to a king, and really it's on the king's table of what you want to do. So let's read this. This is going to be in chapter 7. We'll kind of break, break it up into two pieces. The first piece is a little bit longer, and as a disclaimer, there's a lot of names all right, a lot of Old Testament names, and so don't get lost in names. I'll kind of summarize it and put it in layman's term. But if you're following along, Isaiah is kind of in the middle of your Bible. Also be on the screens. You can follow along. But this is what it says, chapter 7, uh, verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Reason, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. Y'all good? That's a lot of names right there, all right? I'll, I'll explain in just a second. Verse 2, when the house of David was told, Syria is in a league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, and the heart of his people shook at the, as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, I want you to go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear uh, Jezeb, which yours is, his, is his son, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And I want you to say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. At the fierce anger of reason in Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria and Ephraim, the son of Remaliah, has devised e evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God. So here's God speaking. It says, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus. And the head of Damascus is reason. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Ramaliah. If you are not firm in faith, get this. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And there's a sermon in and of itself. Verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. So here's some context. All right, so if you're taking notes, and I'm going to explain this, what's happening. The very first point this morning is what we see is a hopeless situation. 
There's a hopeless situation. Let me give you some historical context. At the time of Solomon, King Solomon, when he reigns, the kingdom of Israel is one large nation. It's a huge kingdom. It's known as Israel. Well, King Solomon dies, and there is some dispute on taxes that Solomon did and some different things, but they are beginning, and now that King Solomon died, who is going to be the king? Now, if you know Bible history, it's okay if you don't, that what makes up Israel are actually 12 tribes. There's 12 clans, 12 groups of people. Well, as they're picking who the next king, king will be, two of the tribes, Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, do not like who the people have selected as king. So they say, we're going to forego our inheritance as God's people in the promised land, and we are going to then create our own kingdom, which they create Judah. So now, at this point in time in history, there are actually two kingdoms. They're divided. There's Israel in the north, and there's Judah in, um, with the city, capital city of Jerusalem in the south. So what takes place at this moment in time is this really this hopeless situation. And here's why it's hopeless. Assyria, which if you know anything about world history, is coming into power. And they are breathing threats against Syria and the northern kingdom, Israel. And they're like, we're going to conquer you. We're going to come. We're going to kill all your people. Take over your land. So Israel... And Syria partner together and say, well, if they're going to attack Syria, if they're going to attack Israel, let's partner together and maybe we'll, you know, have combined forces and we'll take on Assyria. Well, then they got together and they said, you know what? We also need Judah, the southern kingdom. Are y'all following me so far? Okay. So then they, the kings, which is uh, Remaliah and Pekah, I always think I told first service, I think of like Pikachu. I don't know why. That's my ADD. All right, Pika, Pika, Pikachu. All right, anyway. All right, but King Pika, they come to King Ahaz, who is the king of Judah. And they're saying, Assyria is going to attack. We need you on our side. And King Ahaz, who is not a man of God, says, let me think about it. No, I'm not going to join you. So they're like, okay. So if you're not going to join us, we are going to attack you. So Syria and Israel are going to overtake and conquer um, uh, Judah. And that's what we saw, what we just read, the first part of that. We're going to conquer you. We're going to put in our own king. And then, then we'll fight Assyria. Well, King um, uh, Ahaz is like, man, I got to do something. I'm starting to freak out. I'm starting to really, I don't know what to do here. They're going to come after me. Mind you, at one point in time, these are, I mean, these are God's chosen people. They were at one point following God. But King Ahaz is like, I'm, not, I'm, I'm kind of above that or whatever. So he takes things into his own hands. And what he does is he actually sends a money bribe up to Assyria, to the king, and says, hey, listen, here's some cash. Don't bother me. But it doesn't work. And they're still going to attack. And so this is when the prophet Isaiah, God shows up, speaks to the prophet Isaiah, says, hey, I want you to go meet, meet King Ahaz, and I want you to tell him this, okay? This is my translation. Chill, bro. Chill out. So Isaiah comes to, to the king Ahaz and says, hey, listen, you're all worried about this. You're all frustrated. He says, be careful. Be quiet. Don't worry about it. God's got this. 
You're getting all stressed out. Just trust the Lord. He says, really, within 65 years, they won't, these countries won't even exist. The people won't even exist. So just trust me. So that's when Isaiah says to King Ahaz, why don't you ask God for a sign? And King Ahaz says, no, I'm not going to ask for a sign. I don't want to test the Lord. Now, at face value, it sounds really pious and spiritual, like he's some righteous man. I don't want to test the Lord. What it really means, if you study this, he didn't want to trust the Lord. He didn't want to trust what, what Isaiah was communicating, God's word in this. And so here's kind of what I've wrestled with all, all week. And I want to pose this to you, is in a time of crisis, in a time of great stress, doubt, fear, whatever the case may be, do you trust the Lord? And I'm not kind of trying to be like religious and cliche. I'm being for real. If God is sovereign and he's in control of all things and we know that he works out plans for those who, lo who love him and are called according to his purpose, if we know that in a time of stress and crisis, do we trust him? That's what King Ahaz was facing right here. And that's why Isaiah's like, hey, listen, why don't you just ask for a sign, all these different things. And this is why this is so applicable to us. Because I know as I read that with horrible reading comprehension, I'm like, all these names, I get lost. It doesn't make sense to me. But here's what I want you to understand. This is why it is so applicable to us. Not trusting the Lord always produces sin. Not trusting the Lord always produces sin. It's disobedience. When God asks us to do something or we see something in Scripture of the way that we are supposed to live, the way that God has commanded, the way that Jesus has called, and we know right from wrong, when we disobey that, it leads to sin. From the very beginning of time, we see this. In Genesis 3, well, let me back up. In Genesis 1, God creates everything. Then we see he creates Adam and Eve and says everything is good. Genesis 3, the serpent shows up manipulates God's word, twists it, lies about it, and begins to then try to coerce and, and be sneaky towards Adam and Eve. And it, they end up sinning and eating of the fruit from the tree that God told them not to eat of because they didn't trust the Lord. They believed the serpent and it led to sin. And whether you and I like it or not, that decision at the very beginning of time has affected every single one of us. We have a sinful nature. Our nature is not to trust God. Plain and simple. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care if your dad was a pastor. I don't care if you went to seminary. Our nature as mankind is to sin. And that's why in our lives, because of this, there's anger. There's selfishness. There's addictions. There's doubts. There's fears. There's all of these different things that pile up in this. So if not trusting the Lord always produces sin. Now, here's the connecting point. Sin always produces a hopeless situation. Remember, that was the first point. We're in a hopeless situation right here. I have never met somebody who is in sin and has sin bogging them down, or struggling through sin. And they're like, you know what? This sin it, it creates such a happy outcome for my life. 
I've never seen someone who sins and doesn't have any consequences. Now, I've seen people sin, and it feels good in the moment, or it might bring some temporary satisfaction, but I've never met someone who has sinned and says, you know what, there's no consequences, there's no shrapnel, no one's hurt by this. It always leads to a hopeless situation, a pit that we're, we find ourselves in, that oftentimes, let's just be honest, we point the finger at everybody else but ourselves. That was their fault, that was their fault. And if we do point it to ourselves, this is usually, well, that's just who I am. You're right, you are a sinner. I am a sinner. But what we need to recognize is we can't just hide under some excuse and just water it down and justify our actions. Because as we see King, um, the king here being in this hopeless situation, fearing for his life, not knowing what to do, it is relevant to us today because the most hopeless situation that you and I face is that because of sin, we're separated from God. And the only way to bring any kind of cure, remedy to that chasm that separates us between, between us, sinful people, and a holy, perfect God is through Jesus. That's the only remedy. And if you don't trust God, you don't trust Jesus. You don't trust Jesus, you don't trust God. And so we have this hopeless situation that is right here, and what King Ahaz says is, you know what, I'm good. He already has already proven and failed that I don't trust God. That's why I'm gonna send some bribes up there, and okay, I got this, I'm not gonna test him, I'll figure it out. He, like I said, he wasn't a godly man, and we're gonna talk about a little bit more but he just made mistake after mistake, mistake, because he was so selfish and prideful. And so what we see in this is that if you're not going to test him, what Isaiah says and what God says through Isaiah is he invites the king into this invitation to say, why don't you ask God for a sign? Why don't you ask him? And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. He said, okay, well, by his grace, God's going to pr provide a sign, not only for you, not only for Judah, not only for the people of God, but for all mankind. And that's where we get verse 14. So let's pick up in this story, verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. So we see this incredible promise. So if you're taking notes, the second point that we see is a promised Savior. So as they're living in this hopeless situation, as you and I are living in this hopeless situation, not only then, but also now, we are promised a Savior who will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Man, that is what Christmas is all about. Right? That's why we're going to celebrate in a few short weeks the birth of Jesus, this greatest gift and this sign that, that God is providing then. 
What I love is the connection, because if you look at the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew actually quotes this. He says, now all of this took place. Now remember, there was a period of time between Old Testament and New Testament in history where God was silent. And God shows up through the birth of Jesus. What he promised is that we see over 300 Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled and come true in the birth of Christ. So when Christ is born, Matthew says in chapter one, he says, now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Who's the prophet? Isaiah. Everything Isaiah said back in seven has come true. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what we see in this promise, this promised Savior, is that literally God's with us. We see him, God incarnate through Jesus. We also see as believers, after Jesus ascended into heaven, we have the Holy Spirit. So we know this. Another awesome thing that I never put these two together, as Matthew starts off by this promise, he, we see that Jesus ends in chapter 28 where he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So it's not like, hey, I'm gonna be with you for three years, deuces, okay? So I'm gonna be with you forever. Then we see what we talked about last Sunday in Revelation, Revelation 21, at the very end of time, behold, the tabernacle of God is among you and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. God with us forever. Now, here's the reality of this. As a believer, God with us is great news. I mean, I look forward to that day. But as an unbeliever, if you're an unbeliever, it is terrifying news. Because yes, while God is loving and compassionate, God is also a just God. And he cannot be in the presence of sin. And so as God is with us, that also means he convicts of our sin and judges us based on those things. And so as God's presence is here and speaking through Isaiah to King Ahaz, like, hey, buddy, here's the promise. You have a decision to make. What are you going to do? And Ahaz, unfortunately, is too prideful. He's too sinful. And so instead of repenting and turning away from his wicked ways, he just continued in disobedience. And what ends up happening in this story is that Assyria still comes and conquers, devastates the land. And all while, instead of trusting the Lord, you know what King Ahaz is doing? He's trying to butter up the king of Assyria. So much so, listen to what it costs him. Think about this. Here is a man that came from the tribe of Judah, chosen people of God. And instead of following the Lord, what he ends up doing is he's trying to butter up Assyria so much so that at one point he travels to Assyria to meet with the king, begins to worship the gods of Assyria, and sacrifices his own sons as a sacrifice of worship. Totally turns on God. And as a result, this hopeless situation is, is, is horrible. So point three in closing is that what we see is a clear expectation. Here's a clear expectation on the table. You either trust God or you don't. There's no middle ground. You either trust him or you don't. And as, I, as I've wrestled with this and 
just internalize this. I think you and I are a lot like King Ahaz. We know what to do. We know what God's asking us to do. Or, or we're at least in the process of searching it. I hope you are. And then when he tells us something, or we're like, hey, we know what to do, and we're convicted by it, we oftentimes say, nah, I'm going to do my way. I'm going to go over here. And so as a result, what ends up happening, as we see in King Ahaz, everything is destroyed. Because so follow, he followed his plans. So as a closing thought, I'll be on the screens. God's way leads to redemption. Our way leads to destruction. And you might be like, wow, Merry Christmas to you, Dustin. Okay. But I want you to think about that. Anytime I try to do things my way, it never ends up well. Might for a period of time, God's way is always better. And that is why that just as God foretold through Isaiah in this, that because of this destructional path that you and I are li living, because of sin, we needed a remedy. We needed a cure. And he sent Jesus to bring redemption so this life, this path of destruction could stop and that we could have hope and the hopeless situation is now a hopeful uh, celebration of who God is. As we celebrated first service, two teenagers realizing, man, there's sin in my life. I need Jesus. And so let me ask you this. Do you trust God this morning? Do you trust him? And I know it's easy to say, yeah, 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 yeah. He's my Lord and Savior. Okay, amen, you know? But do you trust him? With the family drama that's going on in your life right now, do you trust them? With the hurt and pain that you're just like, man, I'm so, I'm just angry about this. Do you trust him? Do you trust him as a parent? You're dealing with a kid, a child of yours that you just don't know which way to turn. You feel like a great failure. Do you trust him? Whatever's going on at work, whatever's going on in your marriage, do you trust him? Because when we begin to trust him, that path of destruction begins to, the debris begins to clear. And we begin to see Jesus for who he is in this great redemption plan to come and to be with us. Let's pray together. Father, it is easy for every single one of us in this room this morning to say, yeah, 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 we trust you. But let us get real and honest this morning. And to say, you know what? It's a struggle. It's hard. We want to. We know it's the right thing to do. I might not fully understand it. But God, I, I like to trust myself more. I got it. I can do this. And Father, our path always leads to destruction. It might not be immediate. It might not be huge in our eyes. But Father, at the end of the day, we're in this hopeless situation called sin that separates us from you. But because of the work of Jesus, because of his blood that was shed, we can have life with you. We can have hope and joy. That doesn't mean everything's gonna just go away and everything is just great and easy. But as we know, you are with us. So let's trust you in that. For the person that's just struggling this morning, let them maybe come to the altar, maybe come to me and just talk and pray. 
but give those things that they, in areas of their life where they don't trust you, let them just surrender those things to you. So I'm gonna trust you now. For the person who doesn't have a relationship with you, let today be that day. That their life is no longer separated from you because of the forgiveness and grace of Jesus. They can now be in fellowship and in, in relationship with you. God, let us respond in worship. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's continue to worship as we respond to whatever Jesus is stirring in your heart as we sing this last song.